بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي so today bi idnillahi ta'ala we are starting um, the next chapter in the book of salah kitabus salah um, and of course we are studying the book bulughul maram of imam ibn hajar al-asqalani which is a compilation of hadith that deals with fiqh and ahkam of the sharia so we are starting the second chapter last week we completed babul mawaqit the chapter of the timings of the salah today we are on to Babul Adhan, Babul Adhani, which is the chapter dealing with Adhan, all the rulings surrounding the Adhan. Our first hadith is narrated from Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Abdi Rabbihi. From, oh, firstly we should say that the word Adhan, in Arabic it means Al-I'lam. The word in Arabic means al-i'lam, which means to make an announcement. To announce something, this is what the word adhan linguistically means in the Arabic language. According to the sharia, it's a more specific meaning, it's a more specific announcement. It's an announcement, bihalul salah, when the time of salah has become permissible, or when the timing of a specific salah becomes permissible. This is the announcement that's being made. Ala wajhin makhsus in a specific way. In a in a very specific way. And a point to make here is that the salah becomes permissible when the time actually starts. When the time of the salah, which we dealt with in the last few weeks, the timings of the of the different salahs. This is when the salah actually becomes becomes permissible. So it's not necessarily when the when the adhan goes. Because the adhan may be delayed somewhat. So the salah may be permissible before the adhan. So if a person perhaps is in a hari or a female is making salah at home and she checks the time, the time is in for the salah and she has not heard the adhan yet. Maybe she stays next door to the masjid or down the road from the masjid. She hears the adhan for every waqt. Is it permissible for her to make salah? We say it's permissible for her because the waqt is in. The time for the salah is, is in, so the salah is valid. Even though the adhan has not been rendered yet. Even though the adhan has not been rendered yet. Um, and we mentioned this hadith where Bilal radiallahu anhu, he stood up to make, to make the adhan. They were on travel, the sahaba with the Prophet And the Prophet said to him, Abrid. Abrid means Wait, let things cool down. Let it cool down, it was hot. And he stood up some time later, he said to him, Abrid. Again the third time, he said to him, Abrid. Until they saw that Asr was nearly in. It was nearly Asr time. The shadows were starting to elongate. And then the Prophet allowed him to give the Adhan. But the entire walk was in for if somebody made before that, in that time, it would have been completely permissible. And what's also proven here is that if you are on travel, 
you should make the adhan just before you are about to pray and not necessarily when the waqt comes in. Right, we'll discuss this a bit later, insha'Allah. Right, so we said it's a, it's an announcement and it's done in a specific way. It has a specific method that has been taught to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if somebody stood up and he shouted on the mics, Adhan, or As-Salah, 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 would this be sufficient as the Adhan? No, it's not done in a specific way or in the, the way that is taught to us by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It has to be done in the same, uh, in the same method. So what happened was is after the hijrah of the Prophet and the Sahaba to Al Madina, they became, you know, an ummah that was established in Medina, like an Islamic state. An Islamic state was established. The Muslims increased and they become stronger. And Salah was, of course, prayed in Jama'ah, but it was difficult because people did not know. When is the Jama'ah? This is before the Adhan was established. People did not know when is the Jama'ah. So to make things easy, people would come with suggestions, iqtirahat or proposals. And they would say, let's use this and use this, you know, like a speaker. Or in those days, they would use like a trumpet, like a horn that they would blow in to make a specific sound so that everybody knows, hey, it's now time for Salah. Another person came and said, Anakus, which is like a like a, a gong. You know, like a like a big bell. Let's use this, ring this, knock this thing. People know it's time for, for salah. Other people said, let's light a small fire. Let's light a small fire. So they see the smoke into the skies. They know it's time for it's time for salah. But all of this was rejected by the Prophet and by the by the Sharia. Because these are all elements that are found in other religions. Religions that are busy with shirk. The likes, I mean, the, the bell and the is from the, the Christians. That horn was known to be from the, the Jews. And the fire was known to be from the Majus, the fire worshippers. So this was rejected by the, by the uh, Sharia. But people came up with ideas because they saw a need. Yani, how do we know in this time for salah? So what happened was is this hadith, the narrator of the hadith, Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Abdi Rabbihi, radiyallahu anhu, he had a dream. He had a dream and in this dream there was a man making tawaf next to him. So he was in the tawaf and there was a man making tawaf next to him and the man was saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Basically the adhan. He was making adhan. With four takbirs. As we know it today with four takbirs. بغير ترجيع. We'll discuss this. والإقامة فرادا. But the iqama that he made was singular. Like everything was done once. The adhan, everything is done. Dual. Ashadu ala ilaha illallah. Ashadu ala ilaha illallah. Ashadu anna. Hayya ala salah. Hayya ala salah. But the iqama was done. Once, except for illa qad qamat salah As we know, qad qamat salah qad qamat salah we repeat this twice. This is what he saw in the dream. He's making tawaf and he sees this man saying this. Basically the entire adhan and the iqama. Falamma asbahtu, 
ataitu Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when i woke up he says i went to the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam al-hadith the messenger of allah then said to him that what you saw was a true dream that was a dream that was truthful idhab fa'alqiha ala bilal so go and teach what you saw in the dream to bilal فَإِنَّهُ أَنْدَى صَوْتًا مِنْكَ Because Bilal has a more beautiful voice, more appropriate voice for the Adhan than you. So this was how the Adhan became legislated. This is the story of how the Adhan became legislated and part of the Sharia. This hadith is in Abu Ahmad, Abu Dawood, authenticated by Tirmidhi, Wabn Khuzaymah. Um, after this happened, Umar radiallahu anhu, Amirul Mu'mineen, he heard the adhan and he went to Rasulullah and he said, I saw this in, in my dream as well. He actually had the same dream, but he did not and he come out and mention it to the Prophet. When he saw this happening, he went to the Prophet and said, what is Bilal doing? This is what I saw in my dream. And the Prophet then, of course, explained to him, this was also a dream that was true. And this is how the... Um, how the adhan became a part of the sharia, how it became established. Innaha la ru'ya haqq, because the person affirmed it. Not just what, it wasn't just a dream. He confirmed, he said, no, that is a dream that is true. So we accept, he basically then implemented it into uh, the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, Allahu Akbar. We hear this now throughout the adhan, the beginning of the adhan and the iqama starts off with the statement that Allah is the greatest. Allah is the greatest. Yani greater than every single thing. And this is something that is repeated four times in the Adhan and two times in the Iqamah. Why? To instill the greatness of Allah Azza wa Jal in the heart of the Muslim. When you come and you stand in Musalla, you got the reminder from the Adhan. You got the reminder from the Iqamah. And when you stand in the musalla, the first thing you say is, again, Allahu Akbar. To remind yourself, the believer, he reminds himself that Allah is the greatest, meaning it's time for Allah. It's not time for work. It's not time for play. It's not time for the family and for the kids and for anything. It's time for Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah is more important than everything else. Allah is more, is greater. His haqq, his right over you is greater than everything else. Nothing has a greater right over you than the right of Allah Azza wa Jal over you. This is what we say, Allahu Akbar. You block everything out. And throughout the salah, you say it again and again. To keep yourself focused, to keep yourself reminded. I'm standing on the musalla for the sake of Allah. And there is nothing more important and greater than Allah Azza wa Jal. After this, we say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. That I bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah. Right, we've explained this phrase in Kitab, Kitab Tawheed and other books. Allah ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah means there is none worthy of worship except Allah. La ma'bud haq illallah. There is nothing truly worthy of worship except for Allah Azza wa Jal. So the scholars have said this is a better translation than there is no God but Allah. There is no deity but Allah. It's better to say there is none worthy of worship except Allah. This is what la ilaha illallah means. Understand? 
Because it also means, this phrase also then necessitates that ma'budun batilun fa mawjud. That there are other things that are being worshipped. There are other things and deities, false gods that are being worshipped. But all of this is of course batil. Wala taj'al ma'allahi ilahan akhar. Allah says do not make any ilah along with Allah, any deity along with Allah. So la ma'bud bihaq illallah. That there is none truly worthy of worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we say, And this is important. It's an affirmation of our faith over and over. When we listen to the Adhan, it's a reminder. When we listen to the Adhan, it's a reminder. None worthy of worship except Allah. We are going to the Salah for the sake of Allah. It's a reminder for ikhlas. It's a reminder for sincerity towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we say, وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ That there is none word that we also, attest, we also testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Muhammad is the, the true and the final messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, Ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah on this point he says, that this is actually a proof that it's not necessarily wajib to say sallallahu alayhi wa sallama every single time his name is mentioned. So in this case when we hear ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah those who are listening to the adhan we're supposed to repeat and we say ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah as we're saying sallallahu alayhi wa in the adhan or after the adhan, then this is actually not legislated in the sunnah of the Prophet This is not something that has been taught to us by the Prophet and nor did the sahaba act upon this. So it's not necessarily the sunnah to say sallallahu alayhi wa Somebody makes the iqama, some, the man says, ashadu anna muhammad rasulullah, people at the back say sallallahu alayhi wa We say this is not necessarily the sunnah. I won't say the person's an innovator and is, but we say this is not necessarily the sunnah of the Prophet that um, this is said at that particular moment. So if somebody says Muhammadur Rasulullah, that is already a praise for him. This is already a praise upon upon him. To add Sallallahu is something good and extra. If he left it out, he is not to be blamed for this. At the same time, this doesn't mean that we neglect it completely. Because that's, the, that's the, the cowardly person. That's the stingy person the hadith says. The stingy person is the one who hears my name and he does not pass salutations or greetings upon me. So we try and say it. If you missed it here and there, be it it's okay. And Allah knows best. Um, at the end of the adhan, we are supposed to send salutations upon the Prophet So after your adhan, you say, La ilaha illallah. We then say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. And then we say, Allahumma rabba hadihi da'wati ta'ma. Right, we will explain and get to the dua part uh, again. This is what the Sheikh is saying. That is legislated to say at the end. But I'm going to leave this discussion for the end because we're going to get to the hadith that mentions that you should send salutations upon the Prophet at the end of the Adhan. At the end of the Adhan. There is, there is hadith on this issue. Um, naam. Then, hayya ala salah. The word hayya means aqbil, which means to, to come. It's an invite. It's a call. Come to the, come to the salah. 
right? This is the this is the announcement. This is the the call to prayer, the adhan, right? Hayya ala salah, come to the salah. This could mean two things: come to this particular salah, which is about to start, or it could mean in general, come and pray. It could mean a general call: come and make salah. The next statement is hayya ala falah, come to your success, come to your savior. Falah could mean your, your savior, which saves you, and also that which you find your success in. <coughs> and there is no surprise that this is directly linked to the, to the salah. This is directly linked to the salah. Your success is linked to the, to the salah. This is not something that is surprising. Allah says, with the hadith here, it teaches us, come to the salah and come to your, come to your success, come to your savior. There is no doubt that your salah is something that will help you, that will save you, that will bring success into your life, that will bring barakah into your life, into your time. And it will be something that will help you. What does Allah say in the Quran? وَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ And seek your assistance and help and aid in patience and prayer. Seek help in your patience and your prayer. Understand? وَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ And we know that the Prophet ﷺ Whenever he experienced any difficulty, when anything bothered him, he went and he made salah. He went and he put his head on the ground to Allah Azza wa Jal. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, as we explained, La ilaha, La ilaha illallah. Right? This is the adhan. This is what the adhan, what the adhan means. Right? It's a dhikr. And it's the, the call, as we said, this, this announcement of the glorification and the greatness of Allah Azza wa Jal. In it is the shahada of truth, a call to tawheed, a call to the, the message of Rasulullah as the messenger, and it's an invite to salah, an invite to your success. And this is the deen of Islam. It, yani the adhan sums up that religion of Islam, the most important aspects of, of Islam is our belief and in our salah. Most important is the our belief and the most important action is our salah. This is what the adhan is calling us to. Um, as for the previous umams we see, they used fire, they used uh, bells and they used um, horns and trumpets and so forth. Look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the Muslims. Given al-Islam, he's given us the beautiful adhan. Walhamdulillah. <coughs> So the end of the hadith says when he woke up, he went to the Prophet ﷺ, informed him what, what happened. The Prophet then said, this was a true dream, yani the adhan will be established. So from the benefits of the hadith, from some, some of the benefits of the hadith, is that there is no tarji' mentioned in the hadith. I said we're going to speak about this later on. Tarji' what does this mean? Tarji' means when a person says the shahada tain. Shahadu wa la ilaha illallah is the first one. Shahadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah the second one. In the adhan we say it twice. Each one twice. Correct? Tarji' means when the mu'adhin says it, he firstly says it softly to himself and then loudly to the people. Shahadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. And then he says, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. He says it again. Shahadu an la ilaha illallah. Then he says, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Softly first, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah to himself. And then loud. 
and then soft to himself and then loud. So what happens? He ends up saying each one four times and four times. Four for Ashadu Allah, four for Ashadu Anna Muhammad. Too loud and two to himself. This is tarji'. This is what tarji' means. This hadith says that no tarji' was done. When he heard the man in the tawaf, there was no tarji'. Understand? Which means the man just said it twice, loud. No, no, nothing, no whispers to himself. Are you with me? So remember this one. Because later on we're going to see a hadith where tarji' was done. Where there was tarji' that was done. Um, another benefit of the hadith is that we choose somebody who has an appropriate voice for the, for the adhan. Because the Prophet when he said to this man, Abdullah, after he, he mentioned the dream, go teach this to who? To Bilal. Because he has the better voice for the adhan. His voice is more appropriate for the adhan. You need to have a loud voice. You need to be able to, uh, you know, uh, mention it in, or, or render the adhan in such a way that people from afar can hear you. A clear voice, a sweet voice, a naturally melodious voice. These are some of the characteristics you would look for when you want a mu'adhin. Should the mu'adhin be knowledgeable of the Arabic language? The question Ibn Uthaymin asks. Should he be knowledgeable of the Arabic language? Is the condition for the adhan? It's not a condition that he needs to understand and know Arabic. Right? But it's important that the adhan is done in a, in a proper manner. Right? And there are a hadith that speaks about a prohibition on singing in the adhan. It's a prohibition when one sings the adhan. What's meant by this is um, when basically the adhan is made so musical and, and so like a song, and what happens is the ma'ana, the meaning of the hadith gets, or sorry, of the adhan gets distorted and gets changed because of the, because it's being done like a, like a, in, like a song. The most important thing here is the melody. So what happens? They distort the, the words. And this happens even nowadays in the Quran. So people want to recite Quran as a qari. Sometimes the tune is so important that the tajweed gets left behind. Sometimes that the proper recitation gets left behind. You know, this of course is not befitting. So for example, he must be taught Allahu Akbar. Shouldn't be Allahu Akbar or Allahu Akbar. If you were to add that Allah, that's actually a question. Now in Arabic it becomes a question. Is Allah the greatest? And no longer Allah is the no longer statement. You understand? This is how the adhan can change. You are now changing the meanings of the adhan. Akbar is wrong. Right? Akbar, for example, is wrong. This is all ways that you can actually distort the adhan and the adhan can be rendered invalid, can become invalid in this case. This, the same with Surah Fatiha. Fatiha is a rukun of the Salah. It's a rukun of the Salah. So when we recite Fatiha, it has to be recited properly. And when you distort the Fatiha, you can render your Salah invalid. Understand? If words or, uh, or letters are changed completely, such that the word is a different meaning, you have distorted the surah. And in that case, it's a rukun that's not being fulfilled. 
And this is why ulama say that salah can, be in, can become invalid depending on the type of mistake. Depends on the, the type of mistake. And that's why it's so important to learn the Fatiha properly for every Muslim and to choose an appropriate Imam who can recite the Fatiha appropriately and properly. The same applies with the Adhan over here. Right? <clears throat> so some mistakes we can overlook, others we cannot overlook. Akbar changes the meaning. An example which we can overlook, Ashadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Supposed to be Lullah. This is something that can be overlooked because it hasn't distorted the meaning entirely. Understand? This can be overlooked, but it should be taught to the Mu'addin beforehand. Understand? He should be taught beforehand so that he says the Adhan in the best possible manner. Right? Um, and I think this comes up again in, in the following hadith. The next hadith is from Imam Ahmad in the same, same narration which has an additional wording that for the Adhan of Fajr there was an addition which was As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm That salah is better than sleep. This is better. Of course we understand the wisdom in this. It's time when people are sleeping. The early hours of the morning is when we are all asleep. Most people, I should say, are asleep. This is the reminder. You hear the adhan saying, As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm. It's a reminder. Get up. Wake up. It's worth it. Get up. It's better than your sleep. As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm. Again, it's better than your sleep. You've heard come to salah. Hayya ala salah. You've heard come to your success. But you're still drowsy. Another reminder. As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm. Your salah, your salah is better than your sleep. It's better than your sleep. Um, so this is of course makes sense as to why the wisdom in it being only in the only in the adhan of Fajr and Allah knows best. It's the same same narration. It's the same narration or the dream, but this narration in the book of Imam Ahmad mentions the additional wording of Asalat Khairumina Nam. So the first hadith we said, uh, in that, uh, in a tirmidhi, it is, does not mention as-salatu khayrun min al-nawm. But the narration in, in Muslim Imam Ahmad mentions as-salatu khayrun min al-nawm. So it actually comes from the same source as the, as the entire adhan. Right? Is this said in the first adhan or the second adhan? We said there's adhan, fajr kathib and fajr sadiq, the true dawn and the false dawn. When is this one said? Is it the first or the second? The second. It's the second. It's the adhan for Salatul Fajr. Not the first adhan that we hear in some countries, like in, in, in Makkah Medina, that you hear an adhan, right? And in the time of the Prophet, there was also two adhans. The first adhan we said is more a reminder to get ready. Fajr is coming. If you are fasting, you should start to get done with your suhoor and so forth because. The next adhan is going to go soon, soonish, 15 minutes, 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending. Right? So it's like a reminder for the people. You didn't make witr, it's time you get done with the witr, and so forth. Um, but this addition is not mentioned in the first, in the first adhan. It's mentioned in the official adhan of Fajr. So when Fajr starts, the time has come, that adhan for Fajr will be given, and this is when the Mu'addin will say, As-salatu. خير من النوم الصلاة خير 
min and nom and not in the first one that's an important point any questions on this so far um, another hadith from Ibn Khuzaymah narrated by Anas anhu, he said min sunnah from the sunnah is idha qala al-mu'adhin fi al-fajr hayya 'ala al-falah qala as-salatu khayrun min an-nawm so this is also an answer to your question Anas says from the sunnah is that when the mu'adhin gives the adhan of fajr when he says hayya 'ala as-salah he should say as-salatu khayrun min an-nawm so this is also mentioned in another hadith that this is the positioning of as-salatu khayrun min an-nawm for the adhan of fajr it's mentioned specifically um, another hadith or the next hadith is narrated from Abu Mahdhurah radiallahu anhu anna al-nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama allamahu al-adhana fadhakara fihi tarji' the hadith is about the man Abu Mahdhurah Abu Mahdhurah Abu Mahdhurah was a mu'adhin in Mecca was a mu'adhin in in Mecca the prophet sallallahu alayhi taught him the adhan and he mentioned the tarji' he spoke about this he mentioned to him the tarji' which means when he made the adhan in Mecca when he made the adhan in Mecca he would say to himself firstly ashhadu an la ilaha illallah and then loud and then again softly to himself then loud and again ashhadu anna muhammad rasulullah softly and then loud softly and then loud the rest of the adhan is the same the rest of the adhan is is the same right the wisdom in this is that we know mecca was not as strong as medina in terms of its islam there was still things were still hostile over there things were still a bit difficult over there so this was given there to remind the muaddin about sincerity by doing it for the sake of allah to keep himself firm understand this was basically the wisdom in that is this a sunnah up until today or not? This is where there is ikhtilaf between the ulama. Some ulama say it should still be done. Other ulama say it should not be done. We stick to the original hadith of Abdullah who had the dream and Umar al-Khattab who had the same dream. Ibn Uthaymin concludes and he says that when there are two narrations like this, there are two opinions or two uh, narrations from in hadith. Then what we should try and do is we should try and act upon both. We should try and act upon, upon both. Sometimes we do tarji', sometimes we don't do tarji'. Sometimes and sometimes. Why? In this way, we are acting upon both hadith. In our life, we are acting upon both hadith. So we're acting upon more of the sunnah as opposed to saying we're only going to act upon one. If you only did the one, there is no harm in this. There's nothing wrong with this. So if you never did tarji' in your life, no, nothing wrong with that. No sin upon you. No blame upon you. But if you're somebody who did the tarji' from time to time, and the times you didn't, Alhamdulillah, you've acted upon more of the sunnah. And there's many such examples in the sunnah where we have given, been given options. Yani the way you can do certain ibadah, you can do it in different ways. Salatul witr can be played in different ways. Three in one or two in one. Four and one, but it can be done separately. That one raka'ah you can do on its own, or it can be done connected with the two before it. Three in one go. This is an option. You have the choice. You can do both. You can do one. We say, try and do, mix them up. You're acting upon more of the sunnah. 
the adhkar of the salah we have been given options most muslims know to say subhanallah 33 times alhamdulillah 33 times allahu akbar 33 times that's 99 the hundred is la ilaha illallah wa la sharika la lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamd wa qadir that makes a hundred whoever says this after every salah allah forgives his sins even if it is as much as the foam upon the ocean we all know this hadith but there's many other options that are given in the in the sunnah the one hadith mentions 33 33 34 allahu akbar that makes a hundred another option another hadith mentions 25 subhanallah 25 alhamdulillah 25 allahu akbar 25 la ilaha illallah makes a hundred shahabani says this is the best way to do it for whatever reason he's because people complain to the prophet there were poor people who complained and they said the rich people are outdoing us right we make dhikr we fast and make salah they do everything and they also give sadaqah we have no money to give sadaqah. They are outdoing us. The Prophet said, shall I give you something? You can beat them. He gave them this hadith. 25, 25, 25, 25, 100. They came back and complained. They learned the hadith also. They're also doing it. So we need something extra. The Prophet said, Allah blesses who he wants. I can't give you something that they cannot do at the end of the day. Right? Point is, there are options. Even there's an option for a person who is in a rush. After the salah, you don't have time. You can say subhanallah 10 times, alhamdulillah 10 times, Allahu Akbar 10 times. And that's sufficient. That counts as the dhikr. That counts as the dhikr. 10, 10, and 10. Understand? You have an option. The best way to do it is? No, mix and match. Do the first one. Next time do the second one. Next time do the third one. If you're in a rush, do the short one, and so forth. Because now you're acting upon all of the ahadith, not only one of the ahadith. The same here with the adhan, the issue of the tarji'ah. We say do it and don't do it. Do both if you are mu'adhin, if you give, get the chance to make adhan, um, and so forth. So now, the tarji'ah, if you make the adhan, you have to um, in terms of recitation, for something to count as a recitation, there has to be the movement of the lips and the tongue. So the same in salah, for example, some people they stand in salah without moving their mouth, without anything, and they say, no, I'm reciting in my mind. This is not considered a recitation. So that salah is invalid. It's not valid because this is not a recitation. It has to be a recitation. So you have to be moving your mouth and your lips and so forth. To, for it to count as a recitation. That's the general rule for any dhikr even. Even subhanallah and alhamdulillah, you can make everything in your mind. But you need to make it with, uh, with, with your tongue. There has to be an utterance of the tongue as well. Recitation of the Quran, the same. The issue that Ibn Uthaymin brings now is hukmu talheen fil adhan. The issue of singing in the adhan. Right? Um, he says that a person who sings in the adhan without changing the meaning of the adhan, without distorting the meaning, he says this is makru. This is disliked. This is disliked that you make the adhan in a very melodious manner. And there's a hadith that says this. There's a hadith that says this, so we submit and we accept it because it comes from the Prophet It's not a sheikh's ruling from himself. This is, if you go to certain places, um, 
in Riyadh, for example, there are certain masajid they make the most ordinary adhan. But it's because of this hadith, out of fear for the hadith, that, they, that this is how they make the that this is how they make the adhans. Very, very basic. It's just a quote, it's not about a song or a, 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 for, for that matter. But most importantly, the adhan must not be changed. So if somebody gives the adhan, he should not elongate too long and he should not change the meaning of the adhan. If it's melodious, naturally he's got a beautiful voice, then there's no problem in this. But if it becomes a song, yani he's trying to excessively make it very melodious and full of tunes, then this is something that's not recommended. It should be a natural sound. Uh, a person with a nice voice, it will still sound nice. It will still sound nice and attractive. Understand? But it doesn't have to be something where you... And it becomes a, like, a, like, a, like a career and an art where people will study different melodies. How to implement this melody. How, even in the Quran, the same issue is found with the maqamat. The issue of maqamat. Um, I'm yet to find a scholar from Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah was upon the methodology of, uh, of the Salaf al-Salih that says it's permissible. I'm yet to find one that says it's permissible. I've researched a lot of fatawa on this issue because it's something that's very much yani, rampant in our communities. If you study Quran, you will study Maqamat. So you can read... Um, I, I don't think it's very popular in places like Qatar and Saudi and those places. It's more comes more from Egypt. The Egyptian style of Qira'at, of recitation, Abdul Basit and Mustafa Ismail and Na'ina and those people, what, when they start, from start to finish, they start for an hour, they read, everything is maqamat. So maqamat is various melodious tunes that they apply in the recitation, right? So they study these tunes, they are musical tunes. So they start off with a particular one, they then jump to the next tune, and each tune has its own set. And if you know it, you will know it. I can pick it out, that's Nahawand, that is Hijaz, that is Sika, that is Rost, that is... And it's something that's studied. And now it's studied over here as well, because it's also something that the people implement over here, the type of Qira'at. Um, but most of the ulama said it's not permissible. The reason being, they are they are... It's asal, it's rooted in, in music. So it's all of the tunes are musical tunes that they have now used and applied in, in Quranic recitation. You understand? And they also apply it in the adhan and so forth. So the asal with music is haram, right? So you're taking this haram uh, tunes and pl- applying it in kalamullah. And this is why the ulama says it's completely haram. Even the famous Quran that I've, I've searched... Um, What's that famous sheikh's name? You know, some of the imams of the haram, um, famous reciters in the world, they were asked this question, they all say it's not permissible. It's not permissible. You need to recite naturally. And this doesn't mean you don't beautify your recitation. The, 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 the problem says, whoever doesn't beautify his recitation is not from me. It's not from me, which means you must try and beautify your recitation. When you read, you, read, you try and recite beautifully. But it's something natural. And this is something beautiful because each person has his own natural melody. My recitation will be different to yours, will be different to his, and, and so forth. Because we all have our own it's instinctive, you know, it just comes. And, and that's how it's supposed to be. 
as opposed to studying music and reciting with rules of music. And this is not permissible. I mean, they even go to the extent they study it with the guitar, they study it with a little violin, they study it with a piano to master the tune. This is you can see this on YouTube if you if you if you, even if you if you wanted to do that. So. There's a lot of issues with 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 the Kira'a culture, put it that way. And uh, if I can say this, I am someone who can speak from experience because I grew up in that culture, right? I grew up in that culture. I studied at the school. It was very much in that uh, way of thinking. So I used to attend all of these, you know, Naina, Shahat, and all these people. Um, what I would say is that it's not it's not the correct uh, manner of recitation. Firstly, the baqamat is an issue. Secondly, people go to hear the tune and the voice of the reciter and not for the Qur'an itself. The Qur'an was revealed to be reflected upon, to be acted upon, to be understood, not to go and listen and then for people to shout. Allahumma salli ala nabi Allahu Akbar, takbir, takbir. So people go there and it becomes a big emotional thing and nothing's actually learned, nothing's actually benefited from. So we go there, we sit, we enjoy the tunes. We enjoy the, the tunes. Just like someone who goes to a nasheed place enjoys the tunes. Just like someone who goes to a musical concert enjoys the, the tunes. And just like he gets emotional, you also get emotional. And you also feel, you know, you, you feel, oh, your emotions have come up. And, but you don't understand a word he said. You know, sometimes he recites about Jannah, Jahannam. People are shouting as if he's reciting without any understanding. So when the Quran is recited, you're supposed to be silent the Quran. So when the Quran is recited, فَاسْتَمِعُوا وَأَنْصِتُوا Listen and be quiet. Instead, what's happening here is people are screaming on top of their voices. The last one I went to was the first time the Sheikh Shahat came. People were jumping, literally jumping up in the sky. And it becomes like a joke now, you see. The more crazy you can react and go on, that is even better. It makes the atmosphere even... All of this is contrary to the Sunnah of the Prophet. All of this is not from the Sunnah. And this is why the ulama have all advised against these type of recitations. Um, to add on to that, even the Qur'an themselves, man. You know, if you want to look up to somebody, you want somebody that's knowledgeable, someone that you see the effect of the sunnah upon him, someone that you feel is rightly guided. But if you look at many of these Qur'an, Allah alam, we are not judging them or making a ruling upon them that they are anything. But you see a lot of funny things like to bring them here, you need to spend a hundred or thousand and they fly business class, you need to put, put you up in the first a five-star hotel, then to be fed certain meals, picked up by certain cars. All of these are conditions for some of these Qur'an. What does this tell you? It's not just about the Qur'an. This is a career. That's a celebrity that's coming to town. And he must be treated like a, a celebrity that's coming to town. You can't just bring me and put me in your house, or put me up in a bed and, be, a bed and breakfast here, 
I need to be put up in, in the best hotel in town. I must be picked up in this. And my salary for that week is 120,000 rand, 150,000 rand, and so forth. And this is how they move, you know. This culture of using the Quran like this, I mean, this was never ever done by any of the Salaf al-Salih, any of the great Imams of Qurrah. Talking about the Imams of Quran. This is not how they were. It was never the way they were. So there's a lot of issues within the, the, the this Qiraq culture. I mean, they themselves do things to spur the crowd on. You know, the, each Qari has his own thing that he does. So the, uh, this one came now in Ramadan, I saw this video. Every time he recites, he, take the, he takes his tasbih, puts it on the mic. Then he, he does his thing and he takes it off the mic. And he plays with his hand. Next time he, and he lifts it up and the people go crazy. You know, it's like entertainment. That's what it's become. It's like an entertainment industry. They've used the Quran in this manner. And there's many other issues that we can mention that Allah knows best. So, personally, I don't go to these places. You want to listen to the Quran? You can go on YouTube and listen to beautiful recitation. You can go and listen to somebody who recites beautifully. When you recite the Quran, sit at home and recite the Quran. Study the Quran. This is the purpose of the Quran. It was not revealed for entertainment. For entertainment purposes. And Allah knows best. Sorry? This as well, I mean, it's not the way the Quran was revealed. It's not the way the Quran was revealed. And this is mentioned by ulama that the recitation is done not the way it was supposed to be done. And it's not the way the Quran was revealed. So you read now, then we jump to another. What's the purpose of jumping to that ayah? Is it because you want to reflect over that ayah? Is it because you want people to understand the ayah? The purpose is because I can jawab like there. I can, I can hit it nicely there. That's why certain surahs are always recited. Washamsi wa duha is always recited. Why? Because we can pull nice and long and you understand? It's not because of the meaning of washamsi wa duha and qamari there. Are you with me? So the intention is what counts. And like I said, it's become like a little bit of an entertainment industry, which is highly problematic. Which is highly problematic. Um, and some ulama are very strict on this because of what's happening with the Quran. So the Quran is being used, you understand? In the way it's being recited and everything that, that, that's in this, call it a culture, call it an industry, call it what you want. But the Quran is at the center of what's being used. For people's fame, for people's money, for people's career, for entertainment purposes, and so forth. So, who goes there, sits quietly, listens to the Quran, reflects over the Quran, goes home, I'm going to act upon those verses. Show me one person in that gathering that does that. You know? We're there because he's there. Not because the Quran is being recited. You can have an imam reciting the Quran here after every salah, for example. Nobody goes. Because he's not a world, world famous reciter, but everybody goes there because they brought a sheikh from this country who's in a. He recites the whole Fatiha in one breath. So when he does it, people scream their lungs out. So he takes one minute breath, he's. One minute he eats the whole Fatiha. Everybody screams like crazy. And you sit now, let's just sit back and think what is so great about that? Can you explain that to me? What is so great that you can hold your breath for one minute and recite? Well, what, what's great about it? Does that, is that the sunnah? Does it get you closer to Allah? Is this what Allah, thought, is what Allah asked in the Quran? Did the Prophet do that? Did the Sahaba do that? Read in one breath? What's so great about that? 
Where's the honor in that? Where's the virtue in that? There's no virtue in it. So the one who has the longest breath is better than the one who has a short breath. Are you with me? People have become so silly and so fooled by this entertainment that they've lost the essence of the Qur'an. The message of the Qur'an is lost because he can recite in one breath the whole Fatiha. It's like, wow, he's been placed by Allah. I mean, what are you talking about? The, the Sunnah of the Prophet was what? He recited ayah, 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 Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, and he stopped. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, and he stopped. Maliki Yawmiddin, and he stopped. Iyaka, that's the Sunnah. This man comes and he puts everything in one go and we go crazy for him. What, what? This shows you the knowledge of the people, people's understanding. It's completely out the window. So we've fallen for the tricks. It's not the sunnah, it's not the way it's supposed to be done. And there's no virtue in it. There is no virtue in it. If you recite it the way I recite it now, with reflection, with understanding, you are better than that person who's reciting there with the most melodious voice, with the highest pitch, with the greatest tone, with the longest breath, you are better than him. You are better than him sitting at home doing it. Because you implemented the sunnah. The best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad Not, It's not a popularity contest at the end of the day. Do I have a question? Yes, correct. So that's why I'm saying we've lost the essence of the Quran, man. So people now, that's now the hero. That's their goal. So what do they do? They leave their shores here at home. They go over maybe to Egypt. And they go study to become like that. The aim in life is now to be the next Abdul Basit or the next Qari or the next Naina or the next... That's what they want. Because that's what they think is great. But this, without realizing... That's not what the Qur'an and Sunnah actually wants from you. That's not what the Qur'an and Sunnah actually teaches. There is no actual virtue in that. If that is what you are following, you are upon the Sunnah of those Egyptian Qurra, not the Sunnah of Rasulullah not the Sahaba, and so forth. So it's something that we need to understand. That's not actually a great reciter. That's a great reciter in according to those laws, in according to that custom. But this is not how the Prophet recited the Qur'an. No, the Sahaba. Sheikh, I think one of the Fadis says there are three types of people who the lowest depths of Jahannam. Uh, one is a person like this who is uh, using the religion, reciting Quran for money also, because he's now getting paid for this mm. career for him. The, the issue of taking money, I think it depends on the intention as well, because there is a hadith that says, the best thing you can take money for is the book of Allah. The best thing that you can earn your money for is through the book of Allah. So they would obviously use this hadith and say it's permissible. So we say it's permissible. Inshallah it's permissible to take money. But we're not saying you must earn a hundred grand or fifty thousand per dissertation. That is not 
you know, taking a wage or a small fee or for your time or for your effort. That is craziness. Who earns that amount of money? You know, that's something it's like a celebrity culture. If you expect me to come, this is my conditions. If you I'm not if you don't meet the conditions, I go elsewhere. Because if you don't pay, they'll pay. You understand? So it's like extortion, man. It's it's like if you want me as the best reciter, you want me to fill your mastery, then this is what you gotta fulfill. So get your these people together and you make sure you meet my requirements. I'm gonna be there for five days. I want 150,000 eh? This hotel. And I know this from experience because I know somebody who brings this Quran down. And this is the, the criteria he has to meet. It's a business class tick. You can't put me in economy. You must fly me business class. And when you pick me up, you must pick me up in this vehicle. And when you drive me around, it must be this vehicle. These are the conditions that they stipulate. You understand? Maybe not all of them. So can't generalize and say every single one. But this is the culture that some of them come with. As I said, it's like an entertainment. Uh, uh, it's like become like an entertainment industry, man. We are celebrities. You're going to treat me like a celebrity. Don't treat me like a normal, ordinary person. So Allah alam. What's the time? The next hadith from Anas radiallahu anhu. He said, Umira bilal, umira bilal an yashfa'al adhan wa yutira al-iqama illa al-iqama yani illa qad qamat al-salaa muttafaqun alayhi. وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْ مُسْلِمُ الْإِسْتِثْنَاءِ Bilal رضي الله عنه, he was instructed to repeat everything twice in the adhan. Everything was repeated twice. The phrase Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, twice. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu Allah, Allah, Ashhadu Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ashhadu Everything is twice. Except for the iqama. يعني the iqama will be repeated once. Except in the iqama for قَدْ قَامَتُ الصَّلَاةِ which has to be repeated twice. Right? This is of course... Um, easy to understand. As for la ilaha illallah at the end, the whole ummah is agreed, all ulama agreed, it is only said once. La ilaha illallah is said once and not twice. Um, the reason for this is, la ilaha illallah, we end of once as a witr. Like we end all ibadah as a witr. Salah, we end at the end of the night with a witr. One raka'ah. La ilaha illallah is said once. Hajj is once of its witr. Psalm, once a month, or oh, sorry, one month in the year, witr. Understand? Most ibadah ended off with uh, an action which is witr, which is like an uneven or one. La ilaha illallah will be ended off with once and not more than once. This is by, according to all ulama. Regarding the iqama, when do we stand up? And you sit in the masjid, the iqama goes. So some people say you have to wait till the imam, the muadhin says, hayya ala salah. Come to salah, now you got to get up. Uqal qamat salah which means the salah is being established. Now you got to get up. None of this is really <coughs> accurate. We say you, whenever you stand up, it's fine. But you should also aim to be in the first off. That's the, that's the sunnah. As opposed to trying to be at the back. <coughs> and also, you should not wait till the imam starts. Because there's virtue in catching the takbiratul ihram. So don't miss out on that. You stand up when you want to stand up. But try and be in the first off and... Um, try and at least start the salah with the imam. Um, another one of the differences here the Sheikh mentions of the adhan and the qama is that in the adhan there should be pauses. Because the adhan is to call people from afar. People at home, at work, adhan goes. Right? So what happens is you're supposed to pause in between, take your time. 
Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, pus. Allahu Akbar, syadu ala ilaha illallah, syadu ala ilaha illallah, and so forth. Understand? Iqamah, there's no pause. Because generally people are in the masjid, it's said, and so forth. Um, we'll take one last hadith, inshaAllah, from Abu Juhayfah, radiallahu anhu, he said, Ra'aytu bilalan yu'adhinu wa'atatabba'u fahu hahuna wa hahuna wa isba'ahu fi udhunayh. Rawahu Ahmad, wa tirmidhi wa sahahahu. Abu Juhayfah, he says, that I looked at Bilal when he made the adhan. And I would يعني, analyze him. So I would watch him closely. I followed his mouth. His mouth would go this way and then that way. To the right and to the, to the left. The version of Bukhari says to the right and to the left. Which means he turned his head and his mouth. Sometimes to the right. Sometimes to the left. And his fingers were in his ears. His fingers were in his ears. Which fingers is this? The Sababa, which is the index finger. His two index fingers were placed in the ear. So something like this, right? And his head would move from side to side. That's the first hadith. Or the first narration of this hadith, right? So the virtue, why put the, why put the hands in the ears or the fingers in the ears? Number one, it allows you to, it blocks out the sound. You can focus. And you can extend your voice nicely by blocking out. If you do it, you'll see. Put your fingers in your ears and then speak. You, 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 it's as if you focus solely on your, on your voice and not on what, what's happening behind you or around you. Secondly, there may be somebody in the masjid who's deaf, who, who cannot hear. But when he sees you standing there like this, he knows that this is the adhan. He may not be hearing the adhan, but he will know it's the adhan and time for the adhan because he can see you standing in this, in this manner. The virgin in Bukhari in Ibn Majah says, وَجَعَلَ إِصْبَعَيْهِ فِي أُذْنَيْهِ right? He put his two fingers in his ears. As we said, it was the index fingers. Abu Dawud narrates, لَوَا عُنُقَهُ لَمَّا بَلَغَ حَيَّ عَلَى الصَّلَاةِ يَمِينًا وَشِمَالًا وَلَمْ يَسْتَدِلُ The virgin Abu Dawud says that the Prophet turned his neck Right, his neck when he came to Hayya ala salah and Hayya ala falah to the right and to the left. Walam yastadir. But he did not turn his whole body. Just the neck. Right? Unukahu. But he did not turn his whole body. He just turned his neck to the right and to the and to the left. Okay? This hadith is also found in Bukhari and Muslim. So Bilal. Bilal, right? So the Abu Juhayfa says, I watched Bilal with the Adhan, and this is how he did it. Right? He put his fingers in his, his ears, and he would, when he came to the Hayyala Salah, he would move it to the right, and to the left, his neck. What does this mean? How do you do that? There's two options here. Technically, there's two options. You could say, Hayyala Salah, Hayyala Salah, Hayyala Falah, all to the left and Hayya Salah is all to the to the right. Right? Or you could say Hayya Salah, Hayya Falah, right and left. Sorry. Hayya Salah to the right, Hayya Salah to the left. Hayya Falah to the right, Hayya Falah to the to the left. Understand? There's a difference. Either you say Hayya Salah all to the right, 
to the left or you say each one to the right and to the left which one is meant by the hadith there's again two opinions by the ulama Ibn Uthaymin he concludes and he says the hikmah in this is that you try and do it to the right and left right and left why so that everybody on the right can hear salah and falah and everybody on the left can hear falah and salah and not just those on the right they only hear salah those on the left only hear falah to mix it up like this he says this is uh, preferred did it the other way no harm in that once again this is something that's broad in scope right broad in scope um, but we see there's some hikmah in that right left right left Allah alam um, benefits of this hadith firstly Ibn Uthaymin says this shows how the sahaba was so eager to learn he sat there and he watched Bilal Abu Juhayfa says I followed him yani with my eyes I watched him this is what he's doing he's moving his head to the left now to the right now putting his fingers in his ears and he narrates this this is eagerness to learn eagerness to watch and Ibn Uthaymin says here that for us when we see somebody that's learned when we see somebody that we believe is upon the sunnah is a person that's eager to stick to the sunnah and teach the sunnah we should watch them you should watch them when they make salah see what they do you know if you're making umrah you should watch them you see a sheikh making tawaf there you should watch him watch him in the sahih watch him when he's doing something and you know analyze and try and learn from him and if there's a question you can ask him i noticed you did this in the salah sheikh what was the reason we're not saying you must blind follow him either but watch him and learn and ask him when you need to ask him. I noticed you did the shaykh. Is this hadith for this? Is this sunnah? What made you do that? You know? With respect, you ask him. And you can learn in this way. This is what the sahaba would do. Right? This is a great way of a lesson in how we can learn from those who have knowledge and those who uh, we see to be rightly guided and Allah knows best. Secondly, it's legislated that we turn our head to the right and the, and the left. Right? Now the issue is does this remain as of today? Yani today, is there a need to turn your head to the right and the left? When you have a, a mic in front of you. So back in the day, there was no mics. Sometimes they would stand on top of the Kaaba, some stand on a high place, and they would turn their head to the right, calling those on the right, and to the left, calling those on the left. So today, we can say that this is no longer needed Unless you are making adhan outside, without any speakers. If there is a speaker system, whether you move your head to the right or left, it's not going to have any effect on the, on the sound of the adhan. Understand? So Ibn Uthaymin says, in fact, we should make sure the speakers are actually pointing in the direction of the right and to the left, the front. If you can do this, it should be done. So that the sound goes all around. But as for the Mu'adhin moving his head to the right and left in front of the mics, this is not actually going to have any effect and Allah knows best. Also on the Sunnah here is putting the, the fingers in the, in the ears. Does this remain with us? This would remain. This doesn't actually change over time. It still allows the, the Mu'adhin to focus on his voice, to block out what's happening behind him um, and so forth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. طيب I think we'll stop here inshallah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanak allahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk